In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Render under Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Render to God what belongs to God. Our Lord's reply to this attempt to corner him is in and of itself um, another example of the Lord knowing it's not time for him to be arrested. It's not time yet for him to be stoned and killed. You see, the Pharisees were, although not um, faithful to God in their hearts, were very religious and were adamant that this census tax ought not be paid to Caesar. They already were taxing the people enough. There was a temple tax and there were many other things, but the Pharisees were adamant that this census tax was evil and that this foreign oppressor had to be expelled. The Herodians are those followers, maybe even soldiers, maybe family members of King Herod. King Herod was putatively the king of the Jews, but he really was just a puppet of the Roman emperor. In fact, the Herodians were responsible for collecting the census tax and then delivering it to Rome. Mind you, it wasn't a bad exchange. They benefited from Roman roads, Roman services. And so our Lord's response alludes to quite a few different um, realities going on here. Remember, too, that how many times our Lord was, was praised as the, as the Messiah and almost carried off to be crowned king, and he alluded that as well. Because he didn't come to be a military ruler to crush the Romans or depose the Herodians. He came to establish the kingdom of God. Remember, too, that the Roman occupation was fairly benign compared to the different occupations that the Jews had suffered. Our first reading even alludes to one from 550 years earlier. Cyrus lived from about 600 B.C. to 530 B.C. He was that great Persian emperor who, whose empire conquered the Babylonians, who he was in turn conquered by the Greeks, and they were conquered by the Romans. But it was Cyrus, not a Jew, who granted the captive Israelites freedom and instructed them to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild their temple so that they could resume worshiping God. It's a shocking title that's given him at the beginning of that first reading. To be called the anointed is to be called a Christ, to be called a Messiah. And he's not of the people of God. During far worse persecutions, especially the Babylonian the prophet simply told the people of God, be good, conduct yourselves well, do what's asked of you. So with all of that background, our Lord is here being cornered by two totally opposing groups, people who hated each other, the Pharisees and the Herodians. But they're in league and trying to corner our Lord to find reason to, to kill him. He doesn't give him that reason. 
it's even plausible that part of his exchange with them, especially if it was the, the disciples of the Pharisees who produced a Roman coin, that he even revealed their hypocrisy. If you're really a Pharisee, if you're really a follower of the Pharisee, why do you even have Roman coinage in your pocket, you hypocrite? And so render under Caesar what belongs to Caesar, render under God what belongs to God, could easily be interpreted as, get that foreign, filthy stuff that says son of God, that blasphemous stuff, get it, or get rid of it, and go back and worship God. Give your heart to God. Stop playing games with all of this. Now, that personal message to the Pharisees isn't the only thing that's being communicated when he says, render under Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. Especially when we have all of this historical context, we know that our Lord is saying, as St. Paul will say and St. Peter will say to the Christians, pray for the Roman emperor. Pray for those who, pray for those who rule you. We're not talking about a representative government. We're not talking about people that you even like or people that like you. Still pray for them and be a good subject. What's more fascinating is what does he mean? Render unto God what is God's. Repay to God what belongs to God. In one sense, everything belongs to God. But we're not simply talking about acknowledge the fact that everything was created by God out of nothing. There are things that ought to be paid to God that aren't being paid to God. Those things, bring them back to God. Give them to God. The coin bore an image of the emperor. And at baptism, you were imprinted indelibly on your soul with a character marking you as an adopted son or an adopted daughter of God. How evident is that? Has it faded? Is it being lived? Two days ago, Bishop Burbage was here to have an evening of conversation with young men who are open to the possibility of the priesthood. Some definitely discerning, some uh, considering whether or not they're going to be discerning. Some 50 young men, it was quite impressive, from, the, from this parish and from neighboring parishes. They had a conversation with some, I'd say about 25 or 30 priests that had invited them personally. The bishop was there, and then we prayed evening prayer, had dinner, and then came here for a holy hour in the church. One, one of the questions that came from the young men had to do with discernment. How do you discern? Or what advice do you have for someone who's discerning? And one of the priests made a very astute observation, among other um, significant things that were shared. He said, distinguish between a love for the Mass and a love for the priesthood, which every Christian should have, and, an, and a desire to do what the priest does. Listen, to the first thing that he said is what we all need to consider. Every Christian 
should have a great love for worshiping God, should have a great love for, for being here and praying. And not just praying, because praying, prayer can happen anywhere. You can praise God anywhere. But what happens here is something unique. We worship God by offering up the sacrifice that Christ offered up to God the Father. Not a, not a different one, not repeating the same one, but participating in that one and eternal sacrifice, which is, which is his death, which established the covenant that gives ultimate glory and praise to God the Father. And for how many Christians, for how many of us, is the idea of Sunday Mass, is the idea of worship, and even mature spiritual Christians who love to pray on their own but loathe what goes on here, for how many Christians is the idea of worshiping God together the most tedious suggestion? I mean, something is harming their spiritual life. Something is impeding the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, sometimes what's impeding us is me or, you know, the, the, everything you see and hear, right? We try to minimize the degree to which we are part of the problem. But still, when we truly love God and love worship and love the Holy Mass and love Christ and love and adore his sacrifice on the cross, we still even love it when, it's, when, the, when, when the temporal matters are imperfect, The burning desire of the Jews and the reason why Cyrus is loved in Jewish history is that obviously the Jews could pray anywhere. They They could study sacred scripture anywhere. But there's only one place where they could offer worship to God, and that was the temple. And the temple had been destroyed. Because of the destruction of the temple and their exile, they developed something called a synagogue. Right? A gathering of men who would pray and, and, and teach. But that's radically different from the place where the sacrifice is offered and the covenant is renewed. That only happened in one place, in the temple. It is here at the altar that we worship God. We do more than learn. We do more than pray. We participate in the offering up of that sacrifice, which won for us salvation. We should want this to last forever. We should want to be in heaven where it takes place for all eternity. 61 years ago, Bishop Peter Ireton came and dedicated this church. That day is observed as a solemnity. Our greatest duty and our greatest honor is to worship God. As imperfect as we are, God God made us with a need to worship. God doesn't need our worship. God made us so that we are only fulfilled when we worship him. We are incomplete. Like Cyrus, we were strangers when we are imprinted with God and anointed and made a priest, prophet, and king.
And as, as strangers who have been grafted onto this tree of the people of God, we don't deserve to be here. It should be with humble gratitude that we enter into God's presence and participate in this sacrifice. So I encourage you to pray for a desire to love the Holy Mass and pray that the men who love the Holy Mass will discern and recognize which have been called to offer the Holy Mass. But all of us have been called to praise and glorify our God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.